Washington campus. I'm excited to be here. Who else is excited to be here? Come on. If you're joining us online, you're missing out, but I understand, so it's okay, but welcome as well online. Hey, I am Pastor Chase. I'm the Connections Pastor here, and man, I'm going to tell you right now, I know this group is lively, and I feed off that energy. I will tell you right now, as a preacher, if you want me to speed up, give me more feedback, and that makes me drive harder, okay? So there you go. Hey, as we dive in tonight, a couple things I want to clear up. Um, Number one... For those of you that weren't here last weekend, I got to go ahead and talk about the elephant in the room. Last week, the leadership team addressed us all, saying that there was a change in leadership, and Jake Mills is no longer serving as our lead pastor, and then Pastor Nate alluded to that and just saying, hey, in the coming weeks, we're going to have our senior team and some other guest speakers be filling in to preach the word. So what has happened is this has brought some questions because of this change. The first question has been like, well... Who's going to be preaching? Well, I've already, we've already answered that. We're going to have some pastors on senior team and some guest speakers take the stage. But also, like, what's happening with the vision? Uh, simple as this. Pastor Nate already said it. Hey, we're going to be meeting just on Sunday mornings for right now. We're regrouping, regathering, and just going to be excited to be in a community again. And then from there, we will let God discern what we should do. Because, guys, that's what it's all about is all the glory belongs to him. So that's what we're doing. We're refocusing. We're, re- we're just praying about what God has next. And for this sermon series, we've titled it What's Next because there's a couple things we want to answer. Number one is going to be our mission, which we're talking about tonight. And then next week, someone's going to speak on our community. And then on Father's Day, our example. And then on the last week of this month, our call. Because even though we've had a change in leadership, there are certain things that just don't change. So just because Jake will no longer be on this stage preaching, that doesn't mean we stop preaching the word, amen? So another thing that doesn't change is us striving towards our mission. Our mission here at Great Oaks is helping people take their next step towards God. That does not and will not change. This is something that it's in our DNA we're all about because we're all about loving people. If we simplified this mission, it would be that we love people as Christ loves them. So that's what we're here to do. When we talk about our mission, it is all about people. As I say people, that means everyone. And guys, let's be honest. We could use a little bit of that today in our culture, could we not? It is about everyone. It's not just about a certain crowd of people. It is about every single individual because that's what God wants. Some believe that the church is in the business of like behavior modification, and that's not true either. Jesus tells us that's not true because Jesus meets us where we are. We don't have to change in order to come to church. We don't have to change in order to know Christ. Christ meets us, and then the change happens. So that's what I want to talk about tonight. I want to spend tonight's message just talking about our mission and what it means here at Great Oaks. Where we're going to be is we're going to be in the book of John the entire night. So John chapter 4, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. So that's where we're going to be. So as we look at this, and as we look at the life of Jesus, man, I wish somebody would have written a biography on the life of Jesus so you could see all the examples of where he met people where they are. Oh, wait a minute. They did. We actually have four people's perspectives on what this actually looks like. 
We have the synoptic gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then we have the gospel writer of John. And those four individuals give us their perspective as they watch Jesus carry out his ministry in meeting people where they are. So right now, today, we're going to go into an encounter that the gospel writer of John has in John chapter 4. And let me say this. Um, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, everybody has favorite scriptures. And even though I'm a pastor, I have favorite scriptures. The gospel of John is my favorite gospel of the four. And I'm going to tell you right now why. All right? And I know this is recorded, so I probably shouldn't say it, but I'm going to. Because there is not one parable in the book of John. I'm serious. I mean, who, we read the book of Matthew or Luke, I mean, like, you're like, man, what does Jesus mean by that parable? John, it's like, hey, here it is. I'm black and white. I love it. So I love the book of John. And the thing I love about the book of John also is you got 93% new information from the gospel of John compared to the other three writers. So that's great. But today we're going to be talking about an encounter in John chapter 4 where Jesus encounters a woman. So let's pick up the story in verse 3. So John chapter 4, starting in verse 3, says this. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. Let me stop there. Because there's some text, when we read it, we just skip over it. But like, he had to pass through Samaria. Well, I mean, that, that just intrigues me. Did he have to pass through Samaria? I, I don't know if he had to pass through Samaria or not. But I do, when I look at the map, see where that might look like. But before I get there, this tells me a couple things. As you read this written, it says either, or you know what, geographically he had to do it, or something else happened. And what I'm going to call it is this, a divine appointment that Jesus had to make. So to go ahead and talk about the geography of this, let's go ahead and throw up a map for me. Because no Jew would want to be with the Samaritans, Samaritans were considered half-breeds because as the Assyrians took them over, they intermarried and they would not want to be near them. So here's Judea down here, and he needs to go up to Galilee up here, and here's Samaria. And almost every Jewish person, high priest, priest, Sadducee, Pharisee, they would have crossed the Jordan River, gone up through Perea, and then come back over to Galilee. They would have skipped Samaria altogether. Here's why. They would have skipped Samaria because, let's be honest, they hated those people. Why? Because according to them, they weren't pure. According to the Jewish people down in Jerusalem, this group of people wasn't pure. They intermarried with other groups of people as they were conquered, and they weren't fully Jewish. And so by happenstance, even though I'm talking about our mission as loving people, I can't talk about this text and not talk about what's going on in our world today. At this point right here in John chapter 4, we do see some prejudice. We do see a little bit of racism. And what's funny is, is Jesus, the words of John says this, Jesus had to go through Samaria. He didn't have to go through Samaria. But the scripture says he did because I'm telling you, he has a divine appointment for something. But what is it? Here we got verse 5 and 6. John chapter 4 says this. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. 
So let me unpack a little bit of that before I show the divine encounter that Jesus has with somebody. First thing I want to talk about, what I love about the Gospel of John, did you see it? We're going to put that text right back up on the screen for a second. Jesus was wearied. He was wearied. Okay, when we think about Jesus, when we think about the Son of God, I don't think wearied is a word we go to. But guys, we forget that Jesus is human. Not only divine, but he is God incarnate in human flesh. For example, sometimes I think that we don't connect well with Jesus because we have a picture of Jesus in our head that's not really who he is. For example, when I travel out to the East Coast and go through like a lot of older churches, I see this picture of Jesus. It's very common. And I'm going to tell you right now, you might have seen it yourself. I call it five foot eleven, sandy blonde hair surfer Jesus. That's what I call it. Because I look at that and I'm like, man, he was from the Middle East? Wow, I did not know that there was a bunch of white people in the Middle East in the first century. But I see this, and I think that's what we get in our American minds that Jesus looks like. And it's not true. Jesus is in the first century walking through Palestine in sandals, dirty, rough, sweaty, and he's wearied after walking. Church, he's walking all these miles up to Galilee, and if it's summertime, you're talking about 100 degrees. And you're talking about the humidity we had like two days ago. And he's wearied. I love that John tells us that. And then it tells us that he came to this town called Sychar. And he came to Jacob's well. There's some really cool things about this well that I want to dive into, but I don't have too much time. What you need to know about the well is this well is about a quarter mile outside of town. At this time, this well is about 100 plus feet deep. Dug through soil and rock, and it's got a natural spring to it. This general geographical area is the same place that Abram offered one of his first sacrifices to God. It's where several people met their spouses in the Old Testament. All right? So this is what this well is. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is there at the sixth hour, which we know is noon. And here's what happens. Verses 7 through 9 of John chapter 4 says this. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So all of a sudden, Jesus runs into this woman, Samaritan woman, and he asks for a drink. I want to stop for a second and tell you about a barrier that Jesus just broke down. In the first century, men and women did not talk in public. I'm serious. Jewish men and women did not talk in public. All right, that's not a great thing. So men, that's not something we're going to strive for today. All right. But this is what's happened. And Jesus looks at her and says, you know, give me a drink. And her first thing is, whoa, 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 what are you doing? A Jew asking me for a drink, a woman of Samaria. And the next thing we know is this, it's at noon. If you lived in a town of Sychar and you're going a quarter mile to the well, I'm telling you right now, you're going at the first or the third hour of the day to get your water, not the sixth, which is noon. Because if you can imagine the jars these people carried, mostly on their head, or even carried them, 
By the time you walked a quarter mile back to home, half your water would probably be gone. So this tells me something about this woman. It tells me she's going to the well at noon because she doesn't want to run into anybody else. We learn later from John why, but this is what this tells me. And then her first interaction with Jesus is, how is it that you would you ask me for a drink, a woman of Samaria? Guys, she already has this kind of identity problem of why are you speaking to me? I'm a woman. I'm a Samaritan. And church, we get that way. And as we dive into this next text, what I want us to understand is all you need is all you got if all you got is his. Let me explain that. For some reason, we as people think that we have to have it all put together. That's not true. All you need is all you got if all you got is his. And how I know that is because what Jesus does next. What Jesus does next, here we go. Continuing on this story in John chapter 4. says this. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And then skipping down to verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that you are saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Verse 11, the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus talks to her for all of like, Two and a half minutes. And already she's saying, hey, give me this. I want this. Man, that's awesome. But, but here's the problem. Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come draw water again. And the problem with this is there is a difference going to be happening here. There's a difference between knowing God and knowing of God. There's a difference between knowing of God and truly knowing who God is. And church, what I mean by that is you can know God, know of him, but not truly know him. You can know everything that's in this book and truly not follow God. I'm serious. You can recite verses to me day in and day out. But the thing about this is, and being a Christian, is it's here. Are these words in your heart? Where's that at? Because as he's talking to this woman, she's saying to him, hey, I want this water. But there's a difference just between knowing of God and knowing God. And Jesus' response to her in verses 16 through 18 is this. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. So, <laughs> okay, 
She looks at Jesus and says, hey, I want this water. And Jesus kind of stops the conversation and says, hey, bring your husband. Oh, you're right, you don't have one because you've had five, and the one you're with now is not yours. If I was standing there as a Christian watching that conversation, I'd be like, whoa, Jesus, calm down. Pump the brakes, Jesus, what are you doing? But here's the thing. He knows what he's doing. Because there's a difference between knowing of God and knowing God. And Jesus is trying to get to the heart of the issue. Because Jesus knows that, hey, I could give you this living water, but unless we talk about what's going on inside, it's not going to do any good. Church is people. We are all wounded. We're all wounded. Let me take a second to tell you this awesome story. As a young person, when I was, I was a typical boy, I loved doing just fun, exciting things. I love being a thrill seeker. I love pushing the boundaries of what people should be doing. And I probably tested my mother's patience with my lifestyle of how I did that. When I was in third grade, I was third grade, so I have no idea what age third grade is anymore. But I was in third grade, I remember that clearly. We had a lot of ATVs on our farm. So I knew how to ride a four-wheeler, drive a four-wheeler, and I did that a lot. I, did it, I would go up to the farmhouse that my grandparents lived, drive back home, and so on and so forth. And back in my day... Kids, close your ears for a minute. We didn't wear helmets. We just didn't. It wasn't like mandated. No one said, hey, you have to wear a helmet or your parents get fined. That wasn't a rule. So as I'm coming back from my grandparents' house, I thought I'm going to spin around the yard a little bit. My parents live on this, you know, 100-acre farm. And in our backyard is this clothesline, which we didn't use anymore. Um, and as I was coming around the backyard, I dropped something off the back of the four-wheeler, and I did not see it. When I turned around, I actually hit the clothesline with my neck and did not know it happened. I went up, and I saw the clothesline was damaged, and the pole was pulled out of the ground. And I went to the back door of my house, knocked on the door. I was upset, telling mom, hey, I'm sorry I did this, you know, wrecked the four-wheeler into this. I'm so sorry. And then all of a sudden, my mom's face like goes sheet white. She starts, like, panicking, and I have no idea why. I didn't know the clothesline was that valuable to her. Um, and then all of a sudden, I look down, and I've noticed that my white shirt is now solid red. And I have no idea why. I did not know that I was in a severe amount of pain, so therefore the adrenaline numbed me completely. So, yeah, when I was in third grade, I slipped my neck ear to ear on a clothesline. And the only time you'll see the scars now is when I actually do freshly shave, and you can see two scars on each side. And as, I, as my mom took me to the hospital, I got there. They said, hey, millimeter from your voice box, but there's not enough skin to put stitches into it. So for three weeks solid after this whole thing happened, my, mom, my dad had to hold me down and my mom had to scrub rust out of my neck with peroxide. And I'm telling you right now, never had pain like that. And church, I say this to say this. When we find that wound that somebody's inflicted upon us or we've inflicted upon ourselves, whatever that sin might be, it takes time. It takes time. As a pastor, I hear people all the time say, man, I've given this over to God. I've prayed about this. And why is my life not okay? Well, why would we expect us to ask for forgiveness and God to say, all right, good, you have no consequences? What is that? What will we learn from that? 
I'm telling you right now, if I had hit that clothesline and I'd have been fine and had to have no pain afterwards, I would not have learned a lesson. I'd done the same thing next week. And so, church, this is what Jesus is getting at with this woman at the well. He's trying to identify the heart of the issue, and he's having a conversation with her. And we don't know the backstory. We don't know the backstory. She could have lost, like, she could have been widowed four other times. And maybe that's why the fifth guy's not marrying her. I get it. I mean, if four other guys had somehow died, I wouldn't marry her either. I get it. But we don't know that. We don't know that. So Jesus has this conversation with her. And it got awkward. And what I love about it is she does something that I would say a lot of us would do. Let's see what she responds with in verses 19 and 20. She says this. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. <laughs> Some people look at this text and they're like, what? what? What was that? What was just said? So let me tell you exactly what just happened there. She took a theological or church doctrinal grenade and just threw it into the conversation. Because all the Samaritans were like, hey, we can't worship in Jerusalem because the Jews hate us, so we're going to worship on this mountain. And the Jews like, you only can pilgrimage to Jerusalem and worship here. And the Jews hated the Samaritans so much that when the Samaritans made a worship place on that mountain, the Jews marched up and burned it down and destroyed it. That's how much these people hated each other. And Jesus is here bridging this gap. And he's trying to get to her heart, and that's what she says. And I can look at this and say, man, how could she do that? This is Jesus. But man, we do the same thing. Jesus tries to get into us, and we're like, no, how about this? Have you looked at my brother? Have you looked at my neighbor? I'm definitely not being that bad. Come on. And that's what we do. One of the quotes I hear about this text that I absolutely love, Matt Chandler puts it this way. To be 99% known is to be unknown. And here's what that means. She's protecting this 1% that's inside of her, this wound that she has. This wound of, I have broken relationships. I, I've had marriages fail or whatever's happened in her history, in her past. And she doesn't want to talk about those. That's why she goes the well at noon. She doesn't want to have the ridicule and the conversation and the shame that she feels inside. She doesn't want that from other people. So that's why she's avoiding it. And guess what? I get it. Maybe you do too. You know what it's like to hold on to that one thing that if anybody else knew, you, don't, you would die. But church, that's not okay. Because our mission is people, and people need to know that they have a love of Christ. And that love of Christ wants to know everything about them. Now, now don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying go home and post all the stuff you've got going on in your life on social media. I'm not saying that. That's just bad discernment. What I'm saying is this. When's the last time you've confided in someone and said, hey, here's what's going on in my heart. Maybe it's church stuff. Maybe you're like, man, we've had a rough couple weeks at church. We've had COVID. I'm struggling. 
When's the last time you got to be real with someone and just talk about life? That's what this is about. That's what Jesus is getting at here. That's why he's having this conversation with her. And when she asked these questions about where's the right place to worship and trying to throw Jesus off the scent of the problem that she has in her heart, Jesus responds with this in John chapter 4, verses 21 to 24. And he says this, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews, but... The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Verse 24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Let me just be blunt here for a second. Let me just tell you what Jesus just does here. He takes this theological grenade he throws in. And he says, you don't want to go down this road with me. That's his response. It's not about some physical location where we worship. Church, whether you know it or not, it's not about this building. Washington campus, it's not about being physically in the limits of Washington. It's about you gathering together with your brothers and sisters next to you and serving and praising the Lord. That's what this is about. That's what makes you Washington. Just because you're not inside the city limits of Washington doesn't make you less Washington. Just how not being in the church building makes you less Christian. And church, maybe we need to hear this. God didn't save you to go to church. He saved you to be the church. I don't know if there's any better point that I could make than that. That Jesus, that God doesn't save you to go to church. He saved you to be the church. And what he's having this conversation with this woman at the well. He says this next in verses 25 and 26. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Okay, I want to talk about this text. Because I want you to know when you read the Gospels, Jesus just didn't go around town and be like, hey, I'm the Messiah. That's not how Jesus operated. But what's funny is we, we see him meeting this woman at the well outside of Sychar. And he looks at her and says, I whom you talk about, I am he. And you know what's funny about that? It's a woman. It's a Samaritan. It's someone that has a, a history of probably ill repute. But Jesus encounters her. It's not Nicodemus. It's not one of the apostles. It's this woman who is struggling. And Jesus has this conversation with her and says, I'm the Messiah that you're talking about. Why? Because Jesus loved everyone. It wasn't just about the church leaders. It wasn't just about the Jewish leaders. He was tired of hearing about being some political king. It's about all of humanity. And Jesus encounters her, and that is what his declaration is, that he is the Messiah to a nobody, to a Samaritan woman of tarnished reputation. Man. 
That's the God I serve. I love that. I love the fact that we get to see that Jesus truly does meet people where they are. You know what this tells me? What this tells me as we talk about what it means to be a follower of Christ, that we have this gift from God that is his son and we have grace dispensed for us. Do you know what this this text tells me about grace? What this text tells me about grace is it does not matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what you have done in your life. Jesus still wants to know you and know your heart. Do we get it? Do we hear it? Do we understand that no matter what's happened, no matter what struggles we've gone through in life, Jesus still wants to have a conversation with you, still wants to know you, and still wants you to know that you belong. But even greater than that, he doesn't just say to you, I'm the Messiah, just believe in me. No, then he starts to work on your heart because it's Jesus that works on your heart, no one else. And he starts to mend that. No matter what's going on, broken relationships, hard conversations, tarnished reputations, bad business dealings, no matter what's going on in your life, Christ is saying, I want to be there, I want to penetrate that, and I want to make you whole. Because there are some voids that we have in our life that only Christ can fill. And then I see what happens next. And man, this excites me. Because the story of the Samaritan woman is not over. And everybody thinks that, man, okay, the disciples come back, they give Jesus a hard time, and he puts them in their place, and that's the end of the story. And it's not the end of the story. Because verses 39 and 40 of John chapter 4 tells me this. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I'd ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. I want to stop there because of her testimony. A city found Christ. So as we talk about something that doesn't change and that being our mission, about helping people take their next step towards God, I have to ask, what does that mean for you? What is that for you? Because maybe you have that testimony of sharing the gospel with other people. And are you doing it? Or maybe it's this. Maybe you feel in a similar spot that you've struggled. There's that one or two or three percent of your heart that you're not letting anybody know. And if they did, it would just demolish you. And maybe what you need to hear is in this gospel of John that's full of I am statements of Jesus. He looks at this woman in Samaria and says, I am he, the Messiah. And maybe you need to hear that for the first time today. That Christ was sent by his father to die on a tree for us, to give us grace. Church, do you need that living water today? Is that what you need? Those are going to be the two options I give you tonight. Do you need to walk that testimony out and help people on their next step towards God? Because that's something that we don't change here at Great Oaks. Or are you saying, hey, you know what? I need to know him for the first time. Because those two are exciting things. And that's why we're here. That's why we're excited to meet in person.
because I want to be fueled up to go out in the community and let them know that there's a Savior that loves this woman that much, so I know he loves me. He loved, the, he loved the Apostle Paul so much, and the Apostle Paul slaughtered hundreds of people, and he loved him. So maybe that's where I need to be, that I need that living water, and I need to just confess to Christ and say, I want to have you in my life. So as we close out tonight in worship, let's go ahead. I'm going to have you stand with me, and we're going to pray. Dear Father, we are just so thankful that we can gather in your house. God, as, as we close out tonight, I ask that you put on us this conviction of what we're to do. We know as a church, our mission is to help people on their next steps towards God, towards you. God, as, as, as we as a people meet in here, as Washington campus, as the future might seem obscure, but we know that you are in control and you have everything in hand, I ask for the Spirit to move. And maybe for the first time, somebody here needs to make a decision for you and may that happen and let that happen. Or God, maybe it's that we need to take our own testimonies out and let people know who we truly are. That we are followers of you, that you found broken, defeated, and you picked us up and you saved us from that. God, we ask that you fill this room because we love you and we wanna serve you all of our days. All of us joining us here in person and online, let us say out to him. In the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, amen.